Be seated. Come on up. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you. You have fared well. Well, most of you, Jeff has grown a complete beard since we were gone. I mean, I didn't realize we'd been gone that long. <laughs> Looking good, brother. Well, it's good to be back with you. Thank you for the time off. Uh, it was a sabbatical, if you will. Uh, for those of you that were here and uh, you heard Brother Mihai and uh, Dana, aren't they precious folks? Just so, so precious. We had lunch with them afterwards, and I'll tell you a little bit about our journey just to catch you up to date. But we had lunch with them right afterwards, and um, Brother Mihai said to me, Pastor Bruce, what is this sabbatical? And he's been at his church 27 years, didn't know what it was. And um, so we shared a little bit about that and just enjoyed our time together. And he says, you come to Satemare. And he says, when you come, Pastor Bruce, you preach on sabbatical. <laughs> I said, okay, brother, deal. <laughs> Got that. He's always wanted us to come over. And so Debbie and I may try to do that. We're not sure what the travel arrangements are like these days, but we may do that at some point. But um, you were blessed this, this last month. Uh, we were gone on vacation. We were gone for the sabbatical, but yet you had people fill in. They were precious folks. Uh, when, when, uh, wasn't Brother Iman a blessing? I know that was a little unique Sunday, and I couldn't record that. And uh, as you know, they're going to uh, another part of the world that's uh, not going to be favorable to Christians. And so um, he's just asked us to keep that under wraps, if you will. But what a precious, precious family they are. And uh, just such servants, such incredible servants of the Lord. Uh, there are not many of us who would leave the wonderful things that we have here in this country to go to a place that's, yes, home uh, in one sense, but in the other sense, a place that really brings your family into the potential of danger. Uh, that's a true servant's heart there. But had that opportunity, then last week, I guess, you had the combined service, right, with Pastor Scott and the Spanish family, and his heart is so much with the Spanish people, as you can tell. Uh, from that, and uh, Brother Danny, and then Pastor Hamp, of course, and so um, thank you for giving us the time away. We did go to church every Sunday. Somebody asked us that. You did go to church, right? Yes, we did. It was a great opportunity to, to visit some churches of friends of ours that we've known in the ministry for years, uh, and just be able to see what's going on around the city, and that was great. We even visited a, a brother of ours in the Lord in Madison, and uh, I just want to let you know that if you haven't been to another church, and you shouldn't do that, okay, you should, you should, you should never do that, all right, don't, don't ever do that, uh, but if you do disobey the Lord, and, and you, you happen to go somewhere totally out of the will of God, um, just be encouraged that there are some churches that are preaching the gospel, and uh, we were blessed to, to really, it was very encouraging. Although worship styles were different, some quite different, um, just a, an interesting journey. But I was encouraged at the heart of it all, knowing that God is doing a work in a lot of places. And uh, so it was really wonderful. Praise the Lord for that. So, again, thank you for giving us the time off. Uh, we'll be back in Matthew's Gospel next week. And, uh, by the way, just a little commercial. This came to me. Kind of, uh, well, as a gift from my wife, as she gave me a, a Bible from, uh, it's a, a new translation that John MacArthur's group has put out. But they've also done a notebook of sorts, if you will, on the various Gospels. This is on Matthew's Gospel. And if you want one of these, let me know. We can order some. It has scripture on one side and then a the place for note taking. And this is just for Matthew. And so we're about a third of the way through Matthew. And if you want one of these, you can... You can get these. They're pretty inexpensive. I think like 10 bucks or something like that. I'm not sure. But if you want one of those, let me know. Also, an announcement for it's August 25th, right? Uh, Sunday, August 25th. No, Wednesday, August 25th. Uh, Awana will be kicking out, uh, kicking in very soon after that. And so Debbie wants to have a meeting with leaders. And we're asking you to consider helping with that area as we always need to. And, and by the way, there are some areas of ministry we, we really need help with. We've been praying a lot about this while we were gone. We need a 20-something leader. We need people in the children's ministry. We've got uh, just some other spots that really need uh, some, some work. And I know that always sounds like a broken record, but God brings these things to clarity when you step back and kind of get the 30,000-foot view, if you will, and see the, these things that are uh, in need. So that's good, uh, but it's also a challenge. And so we're just praying that God will give us 
you and other people to help us in these areas. And then, of course, I have to thank those of you who've had your elbows literally and knees uh, knee-deep in my office. If you haven't looked in there, I'd invite you to take a peek as it's been uh, being remodeled. It's not quite done yet, but uh, thank you so much, Linda, for taking the lead on that. And then those of you who've worked uh, feverishly trying to make that come together. Even Brother Ernesto was going to come all the way back just to lay tile in the bathroom, and I just couldn't work it out. And, you know, he had a, a pretty bad wreck uh, just last week or a week and a half ago, and so... Uh, just life changed for them. But thanks to Chris and, uh, and Linda, they were down on their hands and knees and got that fixed, and um, it just looks great. So it's coming along. And uh, I was telling the early service that uh, don't be expecting a lot better sermons just because of that. Okay? <laughs> I don't know if I can take that pressure or not. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on me now. So um, new office kind of thing, just whatever. You, you get the point. So don't, don't, don't be expecting that. But we'll see. You never know. Um, you may decide that this young man, Jordan, uh, who is our treat to you today, uh, will be better suited for Laurel Hill. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, I was kind of singing over there saying, Jordan, don't forget I'm the pastor here. Um, in my mind, in my heart, I was going, Not, don't be so good. Okay. <laughs> he said in the early service when uh, he stood up to say a few things that uh, it was you're probably surprised that you were expecting the goldsmith to be back, but not this goldsmith. And I thought afterwards, I thought, yeah, we don't want you to come back because, <laughs> because they'll forget all about the old man and just just want want this guy. So he just did a wonderful job. So uh, part of our treat is also out of selfishness um, on our part. Uh, my wife has just uh, pushed so hard for me to have a time off, and this last week was part of the sabbatical and. And she knew that if I were to preach this Sunday, I'd be knee-deep in the scripture and, and uh, trying to prepare. And so she said to Jordan, hey, um, you're preaching <laughs> on Sunday. And uh, this was about a week and a half ago or less, right? And uh, <laughs> he's, saying, he's saying less. <laughs> and so this is his first attempt at this, but um, he's just a natural. And um, God has just done so much work in Jordan's heart. Uh, Again, just a little story on him. I don't know if you know this or not, but he is, yes, he's our son. Um, but um, Debbie and I were done with having children 20-plus uh, years ago. It was that time of life when you, as you know, as parents, where everything leaves the house that looks like a baby, right? And you're like, okay, goodbye, see you later. And um, it wasn't very long after that, almost within just a few weeks, if I remember right, uh, Debbie says, well, I guess we're not quite done. And so so God had another plan. So he was our surprise. Uh, I can remember standing in the in the bedroom when we lived in Lynchburg there and, and um, holding him saying, you know, it's not going to be any time before he'll be five, and then he'll be 10, and then he'll be 15, and then he'll be 20, and, you know, and, and here we are. And so uh, God has blessed us greatly. It, it's been a, a journey. Every day has not been perfect. But that's the way it is with parenting, right? But, but that's what God calls us to. And, and then come the days where God just blesses us as parents with, with children that love him and make God the priority. And so you are in for a treat. And I appreciate Jordan coming from uh, just on such short notice. But also he wants to introduce Brady, who's an InterVarsity um, worker and uh, raising some support, but I'm going to let Jordan introduce Brady. Yep, there you go. I'll get that for you. Good morning. Um, so yeah, as Dad said, I'm, I mean, most all of you know me, but for those of you that don't, I'm Jordan. I'm the youngest of the Goldsmith clan here in Charlottesville. Um, but I just wanted to take a second to introduce to you uh, my good friend, Brady Seacrease. He has been my small group leader with my time um, with InterVarsity. Um, I attend uh, James Madison University in Harrisonburg, and um, I've not been the biggest fan of school, but one of my favorite parts has been my time in InterVarsity. And through that, um, the Lord bringing um, Brady and I together, I remember the first time he picked me up from my dorm, I thought, this guy's really weird. But uh, <laughs> but, but here, here we are. He's a, he's a dear friend. Um, we laugh together. We go to the gym together. As you can see, we're pretty much the same size. So... No, but uh, he's good. I, I give him a hard time in the gym. He gives me a hard time. But uh, I know you guys are in for a treat, um, so please give him your attention, and thank you. 
Thank you, Jordan. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, this is such a treat for me. Um, I have absolutely loved my time in college and loved my time with InterVarsity. And to be able to step on and uh, become a staff member with it and to get to tell other people about what's going on on college campuses is such a treat and it's a blessing for me. Um, like Jordan said, my name is Brady um, and I will be going on staff with InterVarsity. I just graduated this past May with a degree in economics from uh, JMU. Um, and I will be uh, coming on with InterVarsity as a missionary to the campus of JMU. Um, for y'all who don't know who, what InterVarsity is, InterVarsity is a Christian organization that specializes in sending missionaries to college campuses to develop student leaders and to invite students into a relationship with Jesus. Um, I'll tell a little bit of a story. Um, a lot of my family are pastors, and so they really enjoy using this story as an illustration. Um, but when I was quite young, um, my family lives in southwest Virginia, and uh, every summer we have hay season where we mow and bale our own hay. Um, and so the entire family comes out. It becomes a family affair to get up the hay and to store it. Um, I, like Jordan, am the baby of my family, and so everyone is quite a bit older than I am. Um, but uh, I very much wanted to help at the age of four or five. However, that was quite unsafe with the tractors and the possible possibility of falling hay bales. And so after about two or three times of being told to get out of the way, my father picked me up and placed me fairly firmly onto a hay bale and told me, do not move. And so... I stood there, and um, at the time, I was four or five. I used to have to stand on a piano stool for people to see me in church, but uh, I would sing in front of the church. But uh, And I won't sing for you now because being out of tune is a lot cuter when you're five compared to 22. <laughs> um, but uh, there with my dusty and dirty face and tears streaming down from crying, um, I sung a song that I knew, and the lyrics go that I am blessed, I am blessed, every day that I live, I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. Um, and I just think it's a beautiful illustration for what I've come to learn in college, what I hope that all students come to learn in college is, even in times where we feel isolated and abandoned and kind of out on our own, that we are blessed. We have a Father who loves us, that cares for us. Um, and he really does want to pull us in close to call us his sons and his daughters. Um, and so this has been a beautiful illustration for what InterVarsity has been able to teach me um, during my college career. What we do as uh, InterVarsity leaders is we encourage students to come alongside us in spreading the gospel to our campus, accomplishing our group's mission, uh, making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. And the main way that we're able to form those followers is through our student-led small groups. Um, these are smaller and intimate communities where students are able to come together to be fully known by their group, but also come to fully know the Lord through Bible studies and community events, um, getting to know the people around you and being vulnerable with them, but also fully coming to recognize um, God's sovereignty and his lordship over our lives and growing in our faith. To tell you a little bit about our chapter of InterVarsity at JMU, um, it is one of the largest in the country. We have over 500 students that are a part of InterVarsity at JMU. Um, and it is also one of the largest student organizations on campus, which means out of all the fraternities, sororities, clubs, organizations, and sports teams, there are more students that are in InterVarsity than there are any other organization on campus, which is frankly amazing to me that so many 18 to 22 year olds would come into an organization to learn and to mature and to grow in their faith. And while we've been blessed by the number of students that we've been able to reach in InterVarsity, it doesn't change the fact that so many students do come into college craving community. They want to be known and they want to be able to know others, but oftentimes they're not finding that in Christian community, but they are finding it in fraternities, sororities, the party scene, um, not really being engaged in real community, not being engaged with the world around them, and definitely not engaging with the Lord. 
my experience with InterVarsity starts uh, my sophomore year of college when I joined a small group of men um, that really pushed me and held me accountable. It was the first time that I've ever actually had people that would call me out and tell me, Brady, you're not doing all that you can do. You can be better. God has said that you can be better and to push me in that. Um, it allowed me to grow and to become a better Christian and a better man. Um, but like my story, there are so many others. One is of my good friend, Nick, who joined my small group about the same time that I did. Nick had heard of InterVarsity through his girlfriend at the time. She was a Christian and made him aware of it. He had come to our small group, and Nick was actually an atheist. Uh, very combative, not really receptive to a lot of our ways of life and the way that uh, we were learning and talking about the Lord. And so Nick had a lot of questions, but he sat there, he absorbed it. And it was kind of one of those things that when he left, it was like, well, we don't really know if we'll ever see him again. But he came again the next week. And then the following week, Nick ended up in that same year giving his life to Jesus and not only doing that, but becoming a small group leader himself of freshman men, teaching them in the ways of the Lord and how to live a Christian lifestyle. Um, another story that I have is of my good friend Bilal. Bilal um, comes from... Uh, a family that originated in Afghanistan and are currently practicing Muslims. Um, Bilal became involved with InterVarsity through our community events and our outreach events that we do at the beginning of the year. <clears throat> and when he came in, he started attending small group. He started attending our weekly large group gatherings. And Bilal is one of the most consistent members at his small group. He is one of the most consistent members at large group. He's actually started taking notes at large group, and it's so awesome for me to watch and to have lunch and to hang out with him and to see the way that the Lord is working in his life and to see the questions that he's having. Um, it's an encouragement for me to be able to see the Lord stirring in his heart uh, through this organization. And then, uh, like Jordan said, I became a small group leader my junior year of college. I started leading a group of freshman men. He was one of them. Um, and pretty much all of our guys have become involved in some way of giving back to the ministry. Um, but they have just been able to grow so much. Three of the guys have expressed an interest in going into ministry after college, which is absolutely amazing. Jordan himself has uh, taken on a role in leadership in our chapter, joining our executive committee as the upper class men's small group coordinator. And so while his job is very administrative and it's um, an awesome opportunity for him to get to plan and to grow in that way, uh, to see how much Jordan has grown and to see how much he cares and loves for other people. Um, Jordan oftentimes will tell his small group leaders, it's like, you know, I don't really care that much about the programs, but I care about you and I care about your relationship with God. How are you? And I think Jordan just exemplifies everything that we are about at JMU University is that ministry is not programs, but it is people and it is relationships. <clears throat> um, and like most missionaries, uh, and all university staff, I'm working to build a team of people that will be able to support me as I get ready to go on staff with InterVarsity. When I was preparing for what I would say here, um, the Lord laid some scripture on my heart, and I'll read a little bit of that for you. This is coming out of Matthew 9. Jesus has um, been walking along. He has the disciples. He's performed many miracles. He's raised the dead, healed the sick. And he's preparing to send out the 72. And so he's turning around and looking at the crowd and uh, picking up at verse 35. It says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. <clears throat> College campus is a place where the harvest is plentiful. There are so many students there, so many students trying to find their way through faith, some of them running away from their faith, and some of them coming in with little to no faith at all. Um, 
it is very plentiful and unfortunately the workers are few. Uh, there are a lot more people on college campuses trying to draw you into something else, trying to draw you further away from God and more into the world than there are people who are working to draw you towards the Lord. With InterVarsity, we're able to build and develop leaders, small group leaders, exec members, other leaders who will be able to go out and to draw the harvest into them. And if you walk across a college campus, everybody very much looks like they know where they're going. And while they know the way to their classes and they know what their schedule is, I can very much assure you that 90% of them are like sheep without a shepherd. They are wandering around lost. Um, the beautiful thing about InterVarsity is that InterVarsity has been able to touch my life. It's been able to touch Jordan's life. And it's able to reach out to so many students. Um, but this work, this ministry, and this ability to have staff on campus is not possible without um, our partners. And so I would very much like to invite you all into partnership. I would invite you into partnership, first of all, by praying for us. Um, ministry is sometimes draining, and ministry is hard, um, especially on a place where so many people most of the time don't want to hear it. But I would ask that you be praying for us, pray for our leaders, pray for our chapter, and pray for the staff members there, and be praying for me as well. Um, but I would like to also invite you into partnership financially. Like I said, my salary is completely fundraised. Uh, and so without my supporters, I'm not able to go on campus with my full time and my full commitment. And so I would like to invite you all into partnership with me financially as well. Um, to be able to partner with me, I have brought some letters and some information that will tell you a little bit of my story with InterVarsity, reemphasize some things that you've heard here today, but will also provide some instructions on how to give. On the back table on the left, there are these envelopes with the InterVarsity emblem in the corner with a letter. The letter provides uh, a website that you can go to to give online, but it also uh, has a pre-addressed envelope in it if anyone would prefer to give by check. Um, that's just super easy to be able to send in. But I very much uh, appreciate y'all letting me come and speak today. I appreciate your prayers, and I hope that y'all will be continuing to pray for Jordan and Ashley and myself and the rest of the people uh, working to spread the gospel on campus at JMU. Thank you. morning. <clears throat> Thank you, Brady. Um, I pray that you guys will uh, prayerfully consider um, if you will give to Brady or not. Like I said, he's been a tremendous influence on my life, um, on my physical growth, my spiritual growth, um, things of those nature. He's just a, he's a great friend. Um, we had the pleasure of attending uh, a wedding last night of his co-leader, my other small group leader, um, and we were just dancing together. Neither of us can dance. We were just jumping up and down and having, having a good time and um, just so blessed to be able to spend time with him. Um, just to reemphasize some of his points, I'm Nick, uh, his friend he was speaking about, is a good friend of mine. I had the pleasure of meeting with him as his coordinator, as Brady was saying, and um, just so absolutely on fire for the Lord, um, loves his guys, loves everything that has to do with Jesus and the name of the Lord. And when he told me his testimony that uh, he came into college as an atheist, I just blew me away. Um, someone who was very blessed to grow up in the church and under great um, Christian teaching and to see someone like that just so on fire for the Lord that didn't grow up that way or just didn't have that in their life is, is so incredible, um, just amazing. Um, I just want to thank you again for giving my dad the, uh, the month off. I know he and mom really appreciated it. Um, sorry, I can't, mom's sitting right there and dad's sitting right there. I can't look at either of them while I'm talking. They're bad, they're poorly placed. Um, I, I, uh, but no, I know, they, I know they really appreciated having the time off. Um, I got to spend some time with them um, while I was in town doing some things and um, just working with dad at the house and talking to him. You know, I've learned so much from him over the years. Um, I oftentimes took for granted his preaching for so long, you know, 
I've been here, I'm 20 years old, I turned 21 in October. I, we moved to Charlottesville right after I turned two, so you guys have been my family for my, nat, my natural life. Um, you guys have seen me grow up, but um, I remember, you know, many times sitting and falling asleep in mom's lap, just not listening to dad at all. Um, I remember she used to have to wake me up because I'd be snoring. But uh, um, I've, I've truly grown to appreciate the wisdom that the Lord has blessed him with and everything. So I do appreciate you guys giving him that time off. I learned as much from him giving him unsolicited advice as I do from him giving me advice um, just the way that he listens and takes in everything and thinks and prays is is so amazing. But um, that's enough of me boosting his ego for now. But um, you know, Dad make, he's making all these jokes about me taking his job, but I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. You know, I'm just here for today. Um, I will tell you a little story. I, you know, obviously, like I said, growing up here, I remember very distinctly being ages from 10 to 12. Uh, going to sleep at night and just praying so hard that God would not ask me to be a pastor, would not ask me to do this. It was like, worst nightmare, no, dad did this, dad wanted to do, I want to join the army, that's what I want to do, I don't want to do this. And I remember telling them this story for the first time a few months ago, and they just both cracked up laughing. And of course, now I know in the Lord's sense of humor that that means in some form or fashion in my life that I, this is what he will have for me regardless of if I want to do it. I texted mom jokingly the other day, and I said, Dad, better watch out or I'm going to take his job. And then she said, yeah, you might. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, so, but, um, yeah, so let's, um, let's pray and, uh, and commit this time to the Lord, and then I'll share what the Lord has placed on my heart for you. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this day. Um, just thank you for another day of life that you bless us with the ability to just wake up and have your breath in our lungs and be able to come to a place where we can openly, uh, we can laugh, we can, we can cry, we can be happy, we can be sad, we can just fellowship together and we can do it while proclaiming your name, dear Lord. That's such a thing that we take for granted and I just thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for bringing everyone here today. Um, you have them here for a reason, dear Lord. Um, thank you just for all that you do for us. I could stand here forever and just thank you for so many things. Um, we do truly love you, God, and thank you for loving us when we fail you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, this morning, um, I talked to, like I said, just share what the Lord has placed on my heart. I had the great opportunity of being part of a summer discipleship group um, in school with Brady and um, some other guys from InterVarsity that stayed in Harrisonburg for the summer. Um, and it was it was an amazing time. Of, we met for about two and a half hours every Wednesday night just like seven of us, seven, eight of us, however many it was, and we, we talked through creation, fall, redemption, renewal, all the way through the story arc of, of our lives, of, of humanity, and we really dove deep into the theology behind it, um, really opening our eyes to things, you know, the way we haven't thought about things, and um, just, you know, all the things that have happened in history that have brought us to where we are. Um, one of those things, some things that we read, different scriptures, books, everything, we read a book um, called Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. Um, if you've never read it, I highly encourage you to read it. It opened my eyes to a lot of things and, and um, quite bluntly told me I was wrong about a lot of the ways I do things, which is hard for me to do because I like to think that I'm right in everything. But um, Lord knows I'm far from right of pretty much anything I do. Uh, but most of these thoughts, I had a, a very wise man once tell me that there's no new thoughts, just better edited and better shared. So that's Today, these aren't new thoughts, these aren't new ideas, this is just what I feel the Lord has for you guys today. Um, that being said, we just want to talk about what it means to be a called person versus a driven person. To be a called person versus a driven person. Now, I, for the longest time, I, I would have imagined that these would have been the same things. So if I'm called, I must be driven, because if I'm not driven, how am I going to do my job? i gotta have, I got to have the motivation to get up every day and go to work and provide for my family and make my parents proud and get good grades and all this stuff. And that's the things that the Lord has called me to. But through reading this book, I truly began to understand the difference between these two types of people. And I just want to share a few things um, with you all, and hopefully we can grow together in learning which type of people we should be. So starting with the driven person, the driven person. A great, a great example of a driven person in Scripture is Saul of the Old Testament. He is, um, you know, of course we know King Saul and... Um, we know that he started off, you know, handsome and all bold, and everyone loved him, and he was fighting all their battles and everything, and then um, the Lord took his spirit away from him and, and brought David along. But it's interesting if we look at if we look at Saul from the beginning, we understand him to be a driven man. Um, and you might be asking yourself, well, what what 
makes up a driven man. What are those characteristics? So I got some characteristics here that I'll read you, and we can see if, as we read through some scripture, um, we can see those in um, the lives of people from the past. So characteristics of the driven person are they're often gratified only by accomplishment, only by the things that they can gain. They're often preoccupied with the symbols of accomplishment. So whatever that might be, you know, trophies, good grades, better gas mileage, I don't know, you name it, whatever it is. They're usually caught in an uncontrolled pursuit of expansion. You know, we must grow, we must grow, we must grow. It's funny, I was, I remember being here a few months ago and dad was preaching and he, I don't remember the full context of what he was preaching, but he, he talked about how sometimes young pastors come into churches and they just drive, 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 and they just want the church to do all these things. And some people are like, that's great, they want to see change, but is it really great if we're just, if that's our only focus? Um, the driven person tends to have a limited regard for integrity. You know, we might like to think of ourselves as um, integral people. We, you know, we're, we, we don't lie, we don't cheat, we don't steal, we don't kill, whatever these things. But if we truly look ourselves in the mirror, we start to see areas of our life where we have cut corners. We, I mean, I for one, I drive too fast. You know, these things that, you know, are not what we're supposed to do. And um, it's hard for us to admit that we're not a people of integrity. The driven person is not likely to better themselves with the honing of people skills. They're not nice people. They don't care about you or your circumstances. They just want the job to get done. They tend to be highly competitive. They often possess a volcanic force of anger. I love the way that that's phrased, a volcanic force of anger. I know myself, I get very, very angry when small things that should work easily don't work easily. Like when you're trying to screw a screw in and it strips the screw, it makes me angry. But so these people possess a volcanic force of anger at when things don't go the way they want them to, when people don't work the way they want them to, all these things. And lastly, the driven person is usually abnormally busy. They are averse to play and usually avoid spiritual worship. How many times do we come to church and we avoid spiritual worship when we're here, but we just come here because it's become a part of our routine? I know for a long time I often viewed... Um, Sunday is the end of my week, and Monday started my week over. It's like, oh, the week starts over tomorrow. But as I've grown older and, and I've you know, heard people say, no, Sunday's the start of the week, it truly is the beginning of the week. This is where the week should start. The week doesn't start tomorrow when we go back to work or pick up our daily routine. This is where the week should start. This should be where we're grounded for the week, not where we reset every week. So those are some characteristics of the driven person. Let's... Let's go to some scripture and back these things up. So first off, I'm not going to read all of 1 Samuel, but if you look through all 1 Samuel, you can see the story of Saul and how he was a driven man who just wanted power, fame, you know, accolades. But we see here in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 47, we see, Now when Saul had taken the kingdom over Israel, he fought against all the enemies on every side, against Moab, the sons of Ammon, Edom, and the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment. He acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. So from the very beginning, this was before, in the context of this passage, this is actually before David was even anointed. So this was when Saul was still the good guy, if you will. Um, but we see here, even from the beginning, he's just driven. He's just everyone, inflicting punishment. Every, I'm going to attack everyone. Everyone's going down. Israel is going to be number one. That was his goal from the very beginning. And like I said, you can read through the rest of um, Saul's story. We've heard it many times, um, but I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole thing today. But um, I would encourage you to go back and reread through Saul's life and think of these characteristics and see where you see them in Saul's life and see where you see them maybe even potentially in your own life. But moving on here, we're going to, uh, to Mark chapter 8. We look at an example from the Pharisees and um, see where they were a driven type of people. So in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11 through verse 13, I'll give you a second to turn there. So Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11, says, The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. The Pharisees so badly wanted to prove that Jesus was not who he said he was. They so badly wanted to prove to the people that their way was the right way, that living by the law was the way that you have to live, that this new 
revolution from Jesus as they saw it was not the right way. They were a driven people that just wanted power. They wanted money. They wanted nice clothes. They were competitive with each other, even throwing each other under the bus. They were very angry as to the point of you know, plotting to kill Jesus. And how often do we point our finger at the Pharisees and say, oh, you bunch of losers, you, you, you can't, you know, what are you doing? It's Jesus. Why are you backing them into a corner? But how often do we back Jesus into a corner and say, no, give me a sign. Tell me, what I, tell me what I need to know. Give me what I need to know. It's very easy to point to them and blame them because they are the quote-unquote bad guys in the scripture. But how often do we forget that we are the bad guy when we back Jesus into a corner? Um, again, in Mark chapter 10, um, Mark, this will be a, another familiar passage for you all. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. We see another man that was uh, very driven by um, his desire for accolades and accomplishment and titles. Um, so Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, we have, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And, said, and he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property." Now, sometimes for me, this one's a little hard to relate to because I'm a broke college student, um, so I don't really have much to sell. Um, I'm kind of just clinging on to what I do have so I can make it week to week, <laughs> but um, such is the life of college student, I guess. But um, we see here this man, he was so, he was, Jesus, I've done all you asked me to do, all that Moses said to do. I've done it all, done it all. I don't, what else do I have to do? And Jesus said, are you willing to walk behind me on your bare feet after you sell everything? And clearly we see that he was not. How often are we so driven by providing for our family, getting a better job, getting better grades, getting a better car, getting better in the gym, all these things, being a better spouse. And we forget that Jesus just wants us to follow him and he'll give us the things that we need, not the things that we want. And lastly here, one last example of um, one of many in the Bible of a driven person in the Bible is, uh, again, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Here we see the disciples, and we think the disciples, they're the ones we're supposed to model ourselves after. You know, we're disciples. We have our disciples in action on Wednesday nights. You know, we're, how can the disciples be this, this driven person who has lost sight of, of the true calling? So Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35, we see James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And I just have to stop right there because how dumb do you have to be to go, Jesus, give me what I want. But I also have to stop right there and say, I do that all the time. Say, oh, Jesus, I want better health or I want a better job or I don't want to do that. That's uncomfortable. How often do we do that? We make fun of them because we can clearly see it, but we fail to look in the mirror and see it in our own life. So they're saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And that's amazing in and of itself right there. Again, this isn't the, the point I'm trying to drive home here, but Jesus in his goodness took the time to stop and humor them and say, well, what do you want from me? And um, I don't know. I think if I were, if, if I were there, I would say, maybe they're going to ask me for something good. And, but you know, Jesus knew their hearts and knew what they wanted. Um, we, we say a lot, and my mom and dad and I have talked about a lot how Jesus had this incredible way of loving people and making them feel bad. Um, I, don't, I wish I could do that, but oftentimes I just make people feel bad by belittling them. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus loved people, and, and he, he corrected them, and he healed them, and um, he showed them the way, and then they felt bad, and truly amazing. But, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. And I think here truly at the heart of James and John, you see that they just they never wanted to leave Jesus. Up until this point in their life, they had had nothing good. They had the Pharisees telling them they were wrong. They had the Romans wanting their money. They had all this stuff that they didn't want. And they finally come alongside Jesus and they say, I never want this to end. I never want to leave. So I think at, their, at, the, at the heart we see that. But we also see here, 
that they wanted to be known. They didn't just want to be James and John, the two sons of Zebedee. They wanted to be one on your right and one on your left in glory. That was what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to give them something that gave them accomplishment, that, that gave them all these things. They wanted. They were driven after that. How many times do we see the disciples arguing among themselves to find out who was the greatest among them? Because that was all they wanted. They were missing the point of what Jesus was really trying to drive home for them. So we look at these and, and we say, man, that kind of that kind of stinks. Like we just see you just thanks, Jordan. You just read me four examples of people that were I'm supposed to learn from that I'm kind of just sad now. Well, hopefully hopefully we can turn that around a little bit. My jokes aren't landing like Dad's does. It's because you guys know him better. So it's okay though. Alrighty. So we see there. We got some delayed laughter there. All right. So there we see the, the driven people, the driven person, the driven person. And as much as it's easy, like I said, to see it in Saul and see it in the Pharisees and see it in the disciples and see it in the rich young ruler, I once again encourage you to. To analyze, it's always good to self-analyze. Don't beat yourself into a corner and tell yourself you're worthless, but find the areas where you need work and and, and polish the edges and, and ask the Lord for um, for sight to see those things. But now on the other side, characteristics of the called. Well, so we have the a driven person, Saul, of the King Saul. So who's our called person? Our called person is John the Baptist. Such an incredible, incredible example of a man who was called by the Lord, and we just don't see him complain. I mean, he ate locusts for crying out loud. We don't see him complain. We don't see him whine. We don't see him want better title. We don't see him get upset. And, and here's why. Because called people understand stewardship. They understand stewardship. But what does it mean to be a good steward? To be a steward is to understand that the things that, um, um, that we've been given are not ours. We don't own them. They're, they're all the Lord's. And he's just blessed them in our path for a, a short time. You know, um, dad would be easy, very easy for dad to say, this is my church, this is my congregation. I lead them. I've been leading them for, for 20 years. And it'd be very easy for God to say, no, you don't, and, and take it away from him. And I think as soon as you lose sight of that, it become, you become that driven person. You lose sight of where the things truly come from. John the Baptist understood that he was a steward of his disciples. His disciples came alongside him. He baptized them, he preached them, he paved the way, and they came to him and they said, John, look, there's one who calls himself the Lamb of God, the Messiah. And he said, yep, and he's, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he said, go follow him. He didn't get upset that they were leaving him. He didn't get jealous of the Lord for being a better preacher, or being the Son of God. He didn't get upset that his time was over and he was fading out of the spotlight. He just, he, he knew that his time was coming to an end and he ushered them along to the Lord. Called people know exactly who they are. They know exactly who they are. I know, uh, I'll speak from personal experience, college students, like Brady was saying, they don't know who they are. They, they, I mean, not just college students, but that's the time of life that I'm in right now. College students, are they're lost, they're confused, they don't know who they are, they don't know where they come from, they don't know where they're going, they don't know what they want to wear, they don't know what they want to eat for breakfast, they're, they're, just, they're just confused, they're just confused. But a called person knows exactly who they are. Well, who are they? They are, they are a son or daughter of a child of God. And apart from Christ, I am nothing. I, I know that as soon as I forget that, the Lord will, will be very quick to bop me on the back of the head and remind me where I come from. Um, so often I spent so much time talking with Dad about his testimony and things that he's been through and the things the Lord have rescued him from. Um, and all of you, of course, know the devotionals that he was writing through the pandemic, and, and Mom, in uh, her loving kindness, put those together in a devotion for you all to experience. And, of course, you know the cover is Rescued from Darkness, Rescued from Darkness. And the last um, devotional is based off of Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, which is uh, Dad's favorite verse of the Bible. And I, I'll never forget... Um, that, that uh, Christmas morning, it was the last gift under the tree. <clears throat> Mom waited on purpose, and she handed it to him, and he was so confused. Uh, he was like, "What?" because Mom always does the same number of gifts for everybody, so to have him have this last gift was kind of strange. And so she handed it to him, and he opened it, and um, he was so confused. or He was in shock is a better word. He was in shock that someone would have done that for him, even his own wife that would have taken the time to love him and to put those things together for him. And he was confused and shocked, not because he 
he didn't feel like it should have been made because they had been talked about making it into a devotional. But he was confused and shocked because he knows who he is apart from Christ. And apart from Christ, he is nothing. He's a wretch and he is a sinner. And I am the same way. And, um, you know, um, we, our family, we, we joke about tattoos and everything. I, I, and I ended up getting um, a tattoo of that Colossians verse right here on my forearm um, in tribute to Dad and the things that he's taught me, but also a reminder for myself from what the Lord has brought me from. And um, if I forget that, what um, it leads back to. Um, it's, Dad said to me one time, he said, I feel uh, so strongly about being a pastor because the Lord didn't give me any other option. He said, he pulled me out of darkness, and he said, Bruce, you're going to be a pastor, and if you're not a pastor, I don't know what you're going to do. So I, I just, that was so powerful for me for a man that's been preaching for my whole life to know that, you know, it may not be the fa- his favorite thing that he's ever done. You know, he's done different things over the years, but he knows that this is who he is, and he's a steward of the flock that the Lord has given him. So number three, called people possess an unswerving sense of purpose, an unswerving sense of purpose. So, you know, if we know who we are in Christ, we should know where our purpose comes from. Too often our purpose is placed in our job, our marriage, our relationships, our cars. I mean, you know, and you name it, our football teams, whatever. That's where our purpose is placed. I see it at at, at JMU all the time. Um, People are... They're in this fraternity. They're in that sorority. They're a fan of this team. They they do this many clubs. They get these good grades. Their parents come from this place. That's their purpose. That's who they are. And when you strip all that away from them, they're, they just spiral. They don't know what to do. So called people possess an unswerving sense of purpose. They never lose sight of the goal. They never lose hope because they know who they are in Christ, and they know that everything they've been given is from him and can be taken away at any moment. Number four right here. Called people practice unswerving commitment. Unswerving commitment. That means that regardless of what goes on, what gets stripped from them, what gets taken from them, what changes, if they if, if tragic accident, if they win a lottery, that their commitment is to the Lord and not to the things that happen in their life. So let's uh, look to some scripture here to back up these things. Once again, as we read the scripture, look, think through those four things and see how you see it in the scripture. But once again, look in your own life and see where you see those things. And don't be shy about admitting that you are these things. Don't try and feel bad about those things. Just thank the Lord that he's blessed you with his eyes to see what he truly has for you. So starting here in, back in 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 10, and then we'll read verse 10 and verse 19. Give you all a second to flip there. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Once again, many of you will know this story well. This is just a small snippet from it. This is young Samuel in the temple. So starting in verse 10, we have, Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Even at a young age, Samuel knew, with the help of Eli, Samuel knew that he needed to listen to the Lord. And that was, the Lord was calling him, and the Lord had something for his life. Samuel knew who he was from that moment on. As you see in verse 19, Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. Samuel was committed to the Lord. He found a sense of purpose in the Lord, and he knew who he was in that Lord, because at that moment, he said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Moving to Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Again, another familiar story for all of you. Um, Many of you will know this story. Just another great example of what it means to be called and to, to find our purpose and our commitment to the Lord. So Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, even if he does not, so powerful. They're standing in the face of imminent death, and they say, even if he does not deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Such a powerful statement. I know personally myself, if I were there, I would say, well, I know where I am in the Lord. I know he's God. I know this idol means nothing. I'll just fall down and I'll just get it over with and I'll go pray in my closet and you won't know. It'll be fine. Everyone can be happy. But no, they didn't do that. They stood in the face of death and they believed that God had the power to save them. But they also were committed enough to know that even if he didn't, that 
they would be they would be okay. They'd be okay. Even if he didn't. What an amazing, amazing thing. Because I know that I probably it would have been hard for me. I know that. Not that it was easy for them, but we know that how we know how it turned out for them, and the Lord used that to uh, to speak to King Nebuchadnezzar. But moving on here to um, to one of the, probably one of the greatest and most powerful um, instances of someone being called in the Bible, we uh, see in Acts chapter nine, um, starting at verse one through nineteen. Uh, I am going to go ahead and read it because I think it's powerful. But Acts chapter nine. Um, Many of you will know this as well. It's Saul and his call um, on the roads to Damascus. And, um, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul was the Jew of all Jews. He had the titles. He, he did everything right. He was fending off the, these Christians who were ruining everything. He was, he was doing it right. He had it right. And God, God sat him down pretty aggressively and said, no, you're not. And I'm going to show you why and, and how many people have been impacted by the teachings of the Apostle Paul. So Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, we see here, now, st- now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight. Three days. Could you imagine three days without sight? Three days without sight. And neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Once again, we see Ananias and Samuel both. The first thing they did was said, Here I am. They were listening to the Lord. They were open to it. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. But here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and, filled with the, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. How incredible. He went from, I mean, the beginning of the passage, where he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. He gets permission to bind and kill people that are preaching of the Lord and against their law. And at the end of the passage, we see him being with the disciples, eating with them, and prepared to suffer for the name of the Lord. Just incredible, incredible. The difference between a man like Paul and a man like King Saul. Just the difference we see. Both of them called by the Lord because the Lord placed Saul into power for his time, and Paul called on the road to Damascus, but for very different reasons and with very different outcomes. And that's why I believe it's so important and the Lord placed on my heart to talk about the difference between being called and being driven because there is such a mighty difference with such mighty different outcomes. So, how do we know if the Lord is calling us? Well, I would hope that the answer would be simple, but the Lord doesn't work that way, unfortunately, because he knows that if the answer were simple, we would take it for granted. So, I would ask you, are we listening are we willing? And do we believe being called away from where we are comfortable is better for us than where we want to be? And it's a, it's a powerful question. Do we believe being called away from where we are comfortable is what's best for us? I know it's hard for me to answer such a question as I enjoy being comfortable as the next person. I like sitting on the couch and eating potato chips and watching TV. But I know that uh, getting up and, and going... Um, to campus and 
ministering to people and inviting them in to a life with the Lord. Though maybe uncomfortable and I may get slapped in the face or rejected or hurled insults at, um, is incredibly such a better, better way of life. And I would warn you, and once again, most of you know this, if we try and run and hide and ignore God's call, does it go away? Well, I would point you to Jonah. And I would, I, I'll leave that one to you. I think you guys know what happened to Jonah. He tried to run and hide and ignore it. And even though he followed the Lord, he was still unhappy. Don't be like Jonah. It's not a good time for anybody. Your life will end under a tree on the side of a hill. So don't do that. Um, well, so we say, are we listening? I think, you know, the number of times um, I heard mom and dad say that to me growing up, it was just too many to count. Um, because I think I like to think and go off chasing the rabbit trails while they're talking to me and not listening. So are you listening? And it makes me think oftentimes of, um, you know, Peter walking on water. You know, if he wasn't listening to the Lord, you know, what would, what would we have that story of Peter walking on water? But how do we listen to God? Much like John the Baptist, we must be in a place where we can hear God. Must be in a place where we can hear God. I know a lot of people are confused why John the Baptist came out of the desert, but in the desert he had no distraction of working and, and death and, and childbirth and famine. He had no, none of these things. He had the Lord. He had his commitment. He had his purpose, and he had who he was, and he could hear the Lord because there was no distraction. I, I actually said this to Dad. Um, we were working out at the house over this past month. Um, we were talking about something, and um, I said, you know, Dad, um, because I know it was hard for him. Like he said, it was weird. I know it was hard for him to be away. But I said, you know, Dad, sometimes um, the best direction comes from when you're just you're just quiet for a little bit and you're not the one up there um, preaching the word and teaching it. You just need to be the one listening for a little bit. And uh, another example, we have you know, Jesus withdrew to speak with his father in John 17. You know, Jesus knew his limits. He knew he, even though he was fully man and fully God, he couldn't do it on his own. He had to withdraw into the garden and pray and listen. And I would encourage you with, with your prayers, you know, we should be in prayer every day. I am, I am guilty of, you know, being falling short of my prayers with the Lord, as, and I'm not going to stand before you and pretend like I'm, I'm perfect at it. And we have plenty of examples in the Bible of people who pray loud and brash and, and people that play, pray quietly, and the Lord teaches us mighty things through those examples. But one thing I've learned in the past few months of my time at InterVarsity and discipleship groups is that prayer is just a, it's just a conversation. For far too far too often we're told to pray for good weather and good health and all these things, which they're fine, you know, nothing nothing inherently wrong with those things. But oftentimes just saying, God, I, I woke up and had breakfast today, and uh, and I was reminded that you made chickens to make me these eggs. Like just stuff like that has been so impactful for me because God goes, Yep, I did, I did that for you, and just listening to Him while I just tell Him about my day. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, and so I have, you know, I could go on and continue to talk about these things, but I think you all get the point. You know, you're no, no beginners to the word. You're not, um, it's nothing new to you guys, but, um, one thing they yelled at us at basic training all the time was humans learn through pain and repetition. I hope this wasn't painful for you, but I, <laughs> I hope, it, I hope it was some repetition. I hope it was some repetition. Um, but, um, yeah, so many things I could say, um, but we'll just stop it there. Thank you all for uh, allowing me to come up here and share with you guys what the Lord's been placing on my heart. Um, I know by no means it's perfect. I don't profess to be a pastor or a theologian or anything of the sort, but uh, I am trying my hardest to follow him. And uh, I had to I had to stop myself. I, I was telling the, the first service this. Um, I had to stop myself while preparing for this. I was about an hour and a half, two hours into writing notes down, and I was like, got to put this in there, got to put this joke, got to write this comment, got to make this. And I had to stop myself, and I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you trying to be perfect? It doesn't matter. Dad doesn't need to like it. Mom doesn't need to like it. It just one person needs to hear what they need to hear. And uh, I prayed and asked God that he would forgive me for wanting it to be my way and uh, never done this before. Aside from the first service, uh, you know, it's the first two times I've done this, and it's new to me, especially growing up with you guys, and uh, you guys have seen me grow as much as as much as anyone has. But um, you know, I thank you for your time. And um, but let's, uh, let's close this time with the Lord in prayer, and uh, be on our way. Dear Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this day, just the opportunity to be here and to rejoice, rejoice in you and what you've done for us. 
and the teaching you've provided us, the examples you've given us through the past, and the examples you give us in the present. We pray that we can be the type of people that give examples for people in the future, dear Lord. Um, I could sit here and thank you for everything all day long, but we just pray you keep us safe. If that be your will, help us have a good rest of our day and enjoy our time with each other, enjoy our time with you. We love you, God, and thank you for loving us when we fail you. In Jesus' name, amen.